Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes, and on today's episode, Janice Sullivan, the CEO of Rebecca Taylor and Parker, discussed why Rebecca's personal life as a designer is not involved in the brand's social strategy, taking back control of the company's e-commerce business, and how physical retail is evolving. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Janice. Hi. Thanks for coming in. So we actually had Rebecca on the Glossy podcast not long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we chatted with her about the design side of the business. I would love to hear how, how you guys meet, how you work together. How would you describe that relationship? Why don't you take us back to when you joined the brand? Yeah. Um, I, I'll never forget my first meeting with Rebecca. Um, she is such a special person. And so we met in her office and um, her first question to me was, so you're, um, uh, you're interviewing to be president of Rebecca Taylor. What does a president actually do? <laughs> that was her first question. It was just the cute. I was like, well. It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good question. You know, she was just so honest mm-hmm. and like straight, you know, and the thing I love about Rebecca and it's a hallmark of our company is that everyone is very straight talk. Mm-hmm. So she just put it out there. She's like, exactly what are you going to do? So, you know, I had to, you know, walk her through kind of working with you to realize the creative vision, uh, create business opportunities through the product that you make and, um, you know, making sure everything is running smoothly and that we're growing the brand and we're protecting the brand. And from there, we just started a, you know, a great relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And she also made it quite clear to me when I started, she said, I need to be able to look you in the eye and tell you exactly what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's great. That's right. what I need. Right. Um, because straight talk is really honestly become a hallmark of what the entire company is about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how we that's how we started. Great. So so in what year was that? So that's it's almost four years ago. Right. So I'm terrible at math. So that was 2015. And so you mentioned, you know, what what the president does and how is that? You know, I feel like the business side of, of running a contemporary fashion brand has changed a lot. Designers have to do a lot more. You know, I feel like the, the formula used to, it was never simple, but the formula at least was in place. And now it's it's kind of up to every individual brand to decide how they want to sell, how they want to operate their business. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm sure that, that your job has changed over the years. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... Um, particularly with creatives, right? And really understanding how they evolve in, you know, between the way a brand was run years ago and where it is now. You have to really understand what they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of my early workings with Rebecca, um, it was really evident to me that she didn't want to put herself out there as this perfect somebody. And, you know, I remember she took me through a brand book that was done before I started. And it was like Rebecca on the lawn with her children spread out beside her and her husband. And she's like, you know, that's not who I want to be for this brand. I'm the one who comes to work every day. I'm in fittings. I'm creating. I'm designing. I 
I'm not a great cook. I li- I like to cook, but I'm not I'm not this persona. And mm. is that okay? And I was like, that's totally okay. Mm. We don't need to sell some candied version of who you are. Um, if that's not authentic, then let's just not do it. She's like, I, I don't feel comfortable putting my kids and my family and my home life out there. And there's more pressure now for a designer yeah. to do that, to be yeah. a personality as well as, as a designer. Yeah. And I mean, in her own way, she was testing, like, where did I sit on this? Like, where, where, you know, what part of her needs to be the public persona face mm-hmm. of the brand? And, you know, I again, I, I feel it's really important as the, the business person, you have to really take um, what your creatives are really comfortable and what's in their wheelhouse and what's in Rebecca had enough in her wheelhouse just being Rebecca with, without this whole sideshow of being this perfect mom mm-hmm. and yet being a mom is essential to who she is she just didn't feel the need to bring it into what she did because she didn't really you know like a lot of women um, you're both things right you're great at work and you're a great mom and that they don't necessarily need to intersect. And so her question was, from a brand perspective, do I need to bring this into the brand? Mm-hmm. You know, why is it important for that to be? And, you know, I was like, no, you know, you, you don't have you don't have to. You have to do what you feel comfortable with. And her sense of humor and her creativity, all that was enough for us. Right. right? And, and that should speak through. Exactly. Well, where do you think those pressures came from in, in terms of how the you know, the designer feels the need to not just be a designer anymore, but to also, like you mentioned, your job as the president is to essentially figure out how to monetize what the designer creates. And, and it seems like now part of that is monetizing the designer themselves. Exactly. exactly. I just think there was a lot of pressure at the time, right? Of, of just like, you weren't just creative director, but you had to have this amazing social media and you had to have this amazing life. And, you know, back in the day, it might have been going out to clubs and being seen. And, you know, for a woman, right? Maybe it meant more being that perfect mom and sharing recipes and, you know, all these things. But it just wasn't who Rebecca was. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't fit with the brand. Right. And, and and while many people might have wanted it to, it, it wasn't a part of how we should go forward. Right. And we hear so often, you know, the authenticity chant essentially <laughs> like if you don't have that you don't really you don't really have anything so to not force it was 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 the most important part yeah and i mean i think a lot of people talk about authenticity but to really be it you ha- you know you have to yeah you, ha- you have to say no to things i think saying no um t- is a really just as important as saying yes mm-hmm. you know and saying no that's that's not how we need to be, mm-hmm. you know, we can be something else. Right. So in what other ways has the brand evolved with, with everything that's changed for designers? Uh, to your, to your point, it's, you know, you have to, you have to do so much more. It feels as, as a standalone individual contemporary brand now than you might've before. It used to be enough to just, you know, be on sale at Barney's and the right mm-hmm. people would come and find you. And that was that. Now you have to run an e-commerce store. Now you have to have this brand that, that speaks through the noise, whether that's the designer's personal brand or just the brand itself on social media and wherever you can find it. There's the question of, you know, how to use technology to the right advantage and when to sell. And, and so how do you sort of sift through everything that's happening and figure out what's right for the brand overall? Um, I I think it's really, one, I think that um, being able to speak to the consumer directly is the biggest opportunity mm-hmm. that these small contemporary brands have ha- had. And while people talk about like the contemporary, we're all getting 
you know, getting the big squeeze, you know, uh, while it's there's more contemporary brands than ever. I do think carving out that perfect um, ability to be able to present your brand and speak to your customer directly Mm -hmm. um, and to be able to showcase your brand both, you know, on social media, on your e-com, in your stores and with your wholesale partners is the biggest opportunity you have. Of course, the wholesale partners is the difficult, most difficult story because it's a third-party distribution. So you don't get to control how you look and feel. Um, but all of those other elements become that much more important. Because you have control. Exactly. And so um, little by little, you have to really push all of your investment into growing that piece of your business to being able to tell your story and try and really reach your consumer and reach new consumers through those through those media channels. Mm-hmm. That becomes so important. What's been most effective for, for the Rebecca Taylor brand in, in talking to customers? I, you know, definitely, um, I think we're a very visual brand. So, you know, Anything we do on Instagram is really important. Um, our own e-com site mm-hmm. is really, really important. And we take a lot of time and we spend a lot of focus on how we look and feel, um, upgrading everything from the user experience to you know, our imagery, how we put it together, how we look. Everybody's eyes are on it. Um, you know, We use, obviously... Um, Facebook and, you know, Facebook probably, uh, Instagram first, Facebook second in terms of a strategy, in terms of new customer acquisition and um, meeting new audiences and optimizing on Facebook is probably one of the most important things we do. Right. So so the control essentially creates more opportunity to talk to that customer, but I'm sure it's a challenge as well, not just, you know, from the, you know, strategic standpoint, but hiring and, and, and budgeting. And, and this is a, it's a whole new beast within these brands, which, you know, I think a lot of times, how, how big is, is the team now? So our team is around 70 uh-huh. in the home office. That does include all of our stores, but like right. our corporate team is around 70. Right. And so, you know, these relatively small, small, medium mm-hmm. businesses, yeah. how, how did you sort of make room for this, you know, other operation essentially that's online it's online company i think we just started growing it organically Mm -hmm. you know we started you know um when i came to the company kelwood which was the mother company of rebecca taylor Mm -hmm. ran their digital site and so um part of the decision was to put the running of the e-com back into the branch which i think was great Mm -hmm. right so even starting from that you know um building the team up organically uh, and as opportunities arose for, you know, copywriter and, you know, we just kept adding to that department and really growing. And and to this day, it's, you know, it's our biggest growth opportunity. So it's where our biggest investment lie. Great. Yeah. I think that we hear that so much, like the in-house, in-house, everything like outsourcing to, to an agency has got, you know, it's, it has its pros and cons, but a lot of times when you think about this idea of control if you can have it, you should. And that's, totally. I think, is what is what is coming to play. And so how does having that all in-house, owning that customer relationship on e-commerce as well as social play into your wholesale relationships? Um, I'm sure, you know, obviously those are still important, but I would imagine the, the fabric of it changes when you know a lot more than, than a brand might have in the past. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, they've got their own, you know, they've got their own strategies and they go after their own customer. Um, I think we try and partner with them. You know, they are still a really big 
part of what we do. Mm -hmm. And so I have to invest in both, right? I have to be partners with my wholesale team. And, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. These guys are under a tremendous amount of pressure. You know, um, each one of them faces their own you know, like Neiman's has issues. Nordstrom has a tremendous amount of pressure. I know Bloomingdale's, Macy's, they, you know, you know, all of that whole channel is contracting and everyone is under tr- tremendous me- pressure to perform. Mm-hmm. So doing whatever we can, sharing and being transparent as possible with them is, you know, also a win for us because, you know, there's still so many of our customers meet our brand at a Nordstrom. You know, they meet it in Bloomingdale's. So it's still really important to us, Mm -hmm. that relationship and investing in that relationship. Right. And, uh, you know, I think we see it when you hear all of the online brands that started as direct to consumer companies are now thinking, oh, maybe, maybe we'll sell at Nordstrom. <laughs> maybe we'll yeah, sell I, at Target. I just listened to the Untuck It uh, interview that yeah. you did. You know, it was really interesting. Yeah. They, you know, are, it's obviously these, these, stores still drive a lot of customers. They still Mm -hmm. play a really big role. But for you, how do you think about, you know, how you do show up there? Um, I know Rebecca Taylor had a big role when Nordstrom um, pushed forward with, you know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like, Mm -hmm. so you're like, do you have, you can nurture that relationship. Does that give you more power, like to to appear as you want to, um, as, as these department stores are thinking about, you know, what, what they're doing on their own ends? Yeah, I think that, um, We work with the buying teams and we work with them to curate what Mm -hmm. we feel is a really good assortment for their customer, depending on their zones, right? These guys are buying across the country. So they have a, you know, they, again, have a huge amount of pressure and a lot of decision makings to do in a one day buying appointment. Mm -hmm. So we really work with them on um, and again, share like, you know, oh, I was just at, you know, Nordstrom and Aventura and they looked really dark. So let's make sure that we, you know, so we share as much information. We also work with them in analysis and saying, you know, these are the things that won for you last year. This is how we think you can move the collection forward. And then after they leave, we do a great amount of analysis and say, you know what, in looking at what you chose, you know, we definitely have some ideas where we could change this or add this and, you know, um, we really work with them massaging um, massaging the order with them mm-hmm. throughout the entire season. Um, if something's working really well in our own store, we'll open it up and offer it to them so that they can um, pull it in. Or if something's really tough, we can, you know, shave off their on order and get them into something that's working. Mm-hmm. So it's a constant. It's not just like they bought it and mm-hmm. went home. Right. It's constantly being looked at. And that goes back to, you know, the the insight that you now have running running your own your own business. Exactly. You can say like, hey, by the way, and mm-hmm. it benefits everyone. So tell us about the, the store strategy. How many, how many uh, Rebecca Taylor stores are there? So we have six Rebecca's Taylor stores um, and um, we have three uh, Meatpacking Madison and um, Westchester mm-hmm. uh, we have Dallas we have Aventura so we just those are our most recent oh, recently open stores and then we have um, Fashion Island on the west coast mm-hmm. so um, we have a great group of stores that cover a large part of the US and um, 
again, you can really see the impact of opening a store in a market. So in, for example, Dallas and Florida, where we open new stores, our e-com business has been positively impacted. So where we might, our e-com may be growing at 28%, in those two markets, it's grown 48 to 50%. Mm-hmm. So having that physical presence has a knock-on effect on your e-com business. So, and we learn a lot about the integrated customer and we can take our geo you know geo-targeted e-com list and give that to the stores so that they can outreach for a personal in-store experience and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so so what is the the full like how are you able to learn about how the customer shops like you have this 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 insight in that when you have a store it drives e-commerce businesses like what what can you do with that information um yeah, like where does customer data play a role in, in the decisions you make? Does that mean, oh, wait, maybe we should open more stores? Like how do you go about strategizing around customer data? Well, we yeah, we have an integrated like CRM system. So we can see, you know, the whole history of a customer when she walks in the store. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we know where she last shopped, whether it was online or uh, in store. We know she shopped at another store. We know what she shopped for. So, you know, we're you know always ready to greet her. And we have a, a lot of information um, in regards to, to that piece. If it in terms of inform us forming where we would open a store or where we would target, mm-hmm. um, we haven't used it exactly there that much. Um, for for us, I think we're looking for pop-up opportunities and you know markets like Chicago right. happens to be a place where we're really um, I would say uh, we have a wholesale customer, but we don't have a retail customer. Mm-hmm. So looking at that area outside of Washington is a huge opportunity. So for us, it informs us where to do a pop-up or a shopping event in which city. And, you know, so we can go in, see what that looks like, and then sort of evolve a retail strategy from there. Mm-hmm. So we we start with definitely, a, you know, analyzing the geo, geo uh, information, executing a pop-up, and then looking at whether that's a market where we want to launch or not. Right. And and how do you consider the the experience that customers get when they walk in the store? Obviously, if, if you're able to, you know, recognize them, you could say, you know, I know you bought this, and it's more high touch. Does that have a, like, does that play out in any other parts of the store experience or online? Like, do you, like, how do you make sure it has that, like, high touch brand feel, no matter where the customer encounters the brand? It's certain things that inform. So, for example, right now, we know white dresses, like we cannot uh, get enough white dresses mm-hmm. into the hands of our customers. So, you know, we can see her shopping patterns. We see her online. We can see how she goes right into white dress stories. So creating that, you know, as a destination in our stores. So pulling so- pulling together a rack and just having a everything white in our store that you could possibly wear to an occasion. So it, it really does inform our kind of store marketing strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, jumpsuits, for example, is another huge thing this season. So having them all together so the customer doesn't have to like hunt and peck through that traditional sort of boutique experience, just putting everything together so you can guide them right there. Mm-hmm. So those types of things help inform the store experience, that's if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's And that's interesting because it sounds like, you know, today we hear so many fashion companies that talk and, and act like tech companies and striking that right balance between art and science is, is really important because that plays such a role in the, the design side, but also how, how customers see the product and interact with it. And so how do you and Rebecca work together so that she is is designing her own way, but there's still that customer that customer insight that that plays a role and then and then where do you come in and in terms of taking something like, okay, we know these jumpsuits are going to perform really well. Let's let's position them right because we know this about the customer. 
Um, I would say that's the other great thing about Rebecca. Not that I'm like, you know, I am her number one fan, but <laughs> she really listens to the customer. Like, and a lot of, I don't know if you've ever, you know, tried on some of her, you know, the, some of the dresses, like she puts in tiny little panels so that they fit beautifully. Like, you know, uh, she thinks through everything. So when there is feedback, she takes it really seriously. I don't have to have these deep merchandising sessions. Mm -hmm. Like I need a color multiplier. Like she knows it. Like she really understands the customer. She really listens to the customer and gets what they want. And I think that no one feels better than her when we deliver it. Mm -hmm. We always are in constant contact about what's working, what's not. And she's making continual adjustments. Mm -hmm. Um, Rarely are we caught up short or surprised by something. Yeah. When is, what's the the production schedule like? Like what, obviously without getting, giving anything away, what are you guys working on right now and for, for when? So I, I want to say we're quite traditional, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the great thing about Rebecca Taylor is most of our our patterns and all of our samples are made here. So we don't have to work on a ridiculously long calendar. Mm-hmm. Here um, as in New York? Or here in, as in New York, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right in, in, a, in our own sample room and in small sample um, s- sites around the city. So most of it is made here. And so we can react pretty quickly. Um, and we have... Again, we have a fairly iterative process that unfolds every week. Mm -hmm. And we sort of have quick touch bases once a week on kind of how the line is developing and react as we get information throughout those weeks. So, and this is something that, you know, when Rebecca was on the podcast, I want to say it was early 2018. Mm -hmm. So where are you now in terms of the idea of of in-season collections and fashion and, you know, what customers are seeing on social media when it comes out on the runway versus their ability to buy it six months later? Do you think that that conversation was kind of overblown and and how, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, my God, like the fashion week model is going to blow up? Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) I think I do think that, you know, like putting buy now or run we're now on the runway. I think fashion takes time to create. The creative process takes time. Um, and you have to give it that time. It it takes, um, you know, to come up with beautiful prints and beautiful embroideries. And people need the time to make the clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's uh, what, is, what is the value of a beautiful garment. So um, the most important thing is just the product itself. Whether you have to get it now or wait six months for it, if it's a beautiful product, you'll be really happy with it. Right. Um, I think sometimes when you see, see things on Instagram, you know, and then you get to the store, sometimes you're disappointed, not because you've seen it so many times, because it just didn't look like what you thought it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. It may have been hyped up on the photo, but when you get into real life, it's not as beautiful. So our commitment is to make sure that we are putting things out there that are as beautiful as they look and feel, no matter when they see them. Right. And so the customer disappointment comes more whenever the, the product is is itself not what they expected, rather than, you know, oh, this I can't buy this right now. Yeah. You know I, mean, I mean, think of your own self, you know, mm-hmm. like you see something and you're like, oh, those shoes are beautiful. And, you know, they're 
they were beautiful on Tuesday and they're still beautiful three months from now. Right. You know, they're a beautiful and if, shoe. And if you don't think so, you shouldn't exactly. have bought them. Exactly. The maybe, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't have bought them in the first place. You right. know, I, I'm a little, you know, I, I just think that beautiful product is beautiful product. Mm-hmm. I really am an old fashioned that way. Yeah. Um, that you can have the most incredible digital strategies, you can have the smartest team, you can be driving new customer acquisition day after day and, you know, uh, but you're not going to get those repeat customers if you don't have that product right, and absolutely. you're not delivering on that piece. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, my own self. I encounter Rebecca Taylor on Run the Runway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. how do you guys look at like new business models like that? I know you have collections there. Are you on Stitch Fix or any of the like the shipments? We do a little bit on Stitch Fix. Mm-hmm. Our price point's a little high mm-hmm. for the average Stitch Fix customer, but yeah. we try and work with them because um, I think that the model is really interesting. Um, I'm always embracing new business models. I think that that's what that is the future of our brand mm-hmm. is like being able to integrate with all these different types of models and to meet the customer wherever she comes to you. So if she's a rental customer and also the world has changed so quickly like our our customer she's got seven weddings this just this season so mm-hmm. she's on a plane and she has to look different in every wedding and I mean to be honest you'd have to be you know really wealthy to be able to get seven brand new dresses for each of these weddings and you know it's just um, it's it's so important to be able to offer her options for those times where maybe she is going to wear that dress just once. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we have a, a really nice, healthy business on um, Rent the Runway, and we started our own uh, rental. So um, that's something that we launched uh, in November. Oh, nice. And um, it's growing. It's growing nicely. Um, it'll. I don't think it'll ever be as big as a you know, a, as huge as a rent the runway type of thing because it's all Rebecca Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the the customers we have love it. You know, they're real Rebecca Taylor fans. And you know, with the launch of Tailored, yeah. you know, we really have so many op- options um, for her. Right. So, so Tailored is the the newest collection that's mm-hmm. that's work wear inspired yeah. clothing, and and then. And then you have the the rental. Is that spe- for specific pieces or anything? Mm-hmm. No, like, you know anything? the whole collection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yep. then and then any other collections that, that we are have. La Vie, or... which yep. is the casual collection. Mm-hmm. So when I first started, you know, I you know Re- Rebecca Taylor, the main collection has always been quite formal and beautiful and clothing that you would wear, you know, um, to occasions or work or you know um, special events. There was never that sort of off-duty moment. And Rebecca would come in wearing like beaten up army pants with this beautiful silk blouse. And I'm like, why don't we have that cool edge to that brand? You know, and she's like, you know, I always wanted to have that cool edge. But the way we evolved, it just, I could never get it done. And I came from a denim background and, a, you know, kind of a wash, you know, kind of that type of production. I was like, we could get this done, Rebecca. We can. And she's like, great. And she said, you know, I could do this really easily. And she put together with together with the design team a beautiful collection of stunning clothing that is cotton based it's you know it's not zero zero to you know size 14 it's mm-hmm. um uh extra small through large it, it's just it's just just beautiful um easy and just kind of off duty a little bit more off duty than rebecca taylor right and and so 
give us an idea like of how you go about launching a new collection within within Rebecca Taylor because she had you know some anxieties about you know oh, the, but the brand has progressed this way like how do you have a bit of a departure and especially with all the options now uh, you know you it could be online only it could be a, you know a Nordstrom exclusive like how do you make sure that the cl- new collections that that she when she's venturing into new areas land the way that you want them to um yeah I did pick Nordstrom mm-hmm. so I for me, it was having the right partner to launch with. For both LaVie and for Tailored, it was Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just have a great relationship with the team. We had a great launch with LaVie. Uh, so we did it again with Tailored. Um, it was picking that one partner that um, would allow you to grow and get to to a nice kind of uh, volume size without being everywhere and, you know, let you experiment a little, you know, and see how it goes. So, you know, we'll test it in 11 doors, not 40. Mm -hmm. And then as it goes, you can roll it out. So that's kind of how we did it. We did an exclusive partnership. We, you know, we did what we needed to do and then we were able to open it up. So now it, now, you know, it's in Saks and Bloomingdale's as well as of our own boutiques and online. Mm-hmm. So we generally do it online in our own boutiques and then we pick one partner. Right. And and uh, as as that model plays out and you have, you know, that ability to test with with certain partners, how do you, you know, think about where the the brand might be able to, to go next? Because you you do have these channels where you can, you know, experiment a little bit more and are testing new New ways to interact with the customer, um, you know, with rentals and, and just watching customer behavior and, and how they interact with the brand. Where do you see, you know, where the Rebecca Taylor brand can grow while still being, you know, the brand that people have grown to love? Yeah, I think it's just really listening to what she needs mm-hmm. and then saying, okay, Rebecca Taylor has a very specific brand DNA. It's hard to confuse Rebecca with anyone else. And that's also something we worked on to really tighten up who we are and then saying, okay, so how can we take this beautiful DNA we have and apply it to a new business opportunity? So tailored was something that, which, you know, tailored and suiting kind of sounds counterintuitive to what people need, right? Most people are dressing up less in their office, but we kept hearing from our customers like looking for beautiful options to wear to work and not being able to find it. Maybe contemporary just went really fashiony. Um, there's also a couple of suiting brands that have been out there for a long time and haven't really changed it up. So there was this opportunity to say, hey, what if we took that beautiful DNA and applied it to suiting mm-hmm. and did this beautiful feminine suiting where a woman wouldn't have to compromise on looking like a woman, but also feeling very powerful. So that was our next opportunity to grow the collection. So just that's kind of what we look at, like where are, first of all, listening to customer need mm-hmm. and then really thinking it through and saying, where does it make sense to take this beautiful DNA and apply it to a product category that makes sense for our customer? Mm-hmm. And so we're just about out of time, but before before we go, what do you you mentioned earlier the big the big squeeze that's happening in in contemporary fashion mm-hmm. right now? Do you have any predictions for what's going to happen next to to brands? What are what's like a, an opportunity that's on the horizon? Threats that are that are that you are watching out for? What do you think the next you know the next shakeout's going to be? I think that small contemporary brands have to be as fluid as possible. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to respond and evolve 
along with both their customers and their big wholesale partners. Um, If you don't have that ability to flex and change, if you get stuck too far out there or too far in your ways, you're going to get caught up. So one, being really flexible in what you can do, and that's what our partners are asking from us. Mm -hmm. And then two, really mining your customer for opportunity and being for her, being open for her and to her and to her needs at all times. And really getting out of your brand and really listening to your customer because really the big shift is not wholesale versus e-com versus retail versus anything else. It's really putting the customer in the driver's seat, Mm -hmm. no matter where you are, the most important thing. So if you're thinking of that, if your leadership is thinking of putting her first, then they're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Customers in control. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Janice. This was great. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the episode. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. As a thank you for listening, we're passing along a limited time introductory offer on a three-month subscription to Glossy Plus. Glossy Plus members access unlimited stories, exclusive research, and more. Join today for just $49. That's $80 off by entering the code intro at checkout at glossy.co slash subscribe. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.